The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Uh, this, uh, this evening, um, I'm so used to saying this morning that I got tripped up. Uh, this evening, I'm going to do something maybe a little bit different for us um, than what we typically would do for a sermon. I am, we are looking at, um, sorry, I'm getting my timer going so I don't go too fast or too much over time, but... Um, We've actually talked about this passage here, Isaiah 7:14. right? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. It's one of these most famous verses about Christmas. And what I want to do, actually, is just look through chapter 7 of Isaiah and do what we used to call, um, in the old days, it was called a Bible reading. We just kind of look through and read the passage, give some comments on it, and see where God leads us and what it means for us this evening. But this passage actually has a lot to say to us about who Jesus is, and sometimes we can kind of miss it when we get so focused on reading it as a Christmas passage and forget that it's in the middle of a war. Um, this passage comes to us, I'm going to pick up here, if you have a Bible, the verses should be on the screen, but I mean, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read through the passage, and we're going to read a, verse, a couple of verses at a time, and I'll give a couple, of, a couple of thoughts. But this passage actually picks up in, in um, uh, Israel's history where they are on the brink of war. Um, they have uh, a number of enemies that are on their borders and beginning to take over the borderlands and the border countries. Imagine if Canada were to invade America and were to take over Vermont and Maine and New Hampshire is right on the list next. That is the sense of how, well, they, first of all, you'd have to make Canadians mean and then you'd have to, you know, there's a number of things that have to happen. But if you were to imagine that scenario, Isaiah 7 verses 1 through 2. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Right, so here we have these two countries, these two provinces, so to speak, um, that have been taken over by the two countries in the north part of Israel, and they are about to have war come upon them, and they hear, oh, these alliances are forming with your friends and enemies, and they are coming against you, and the literal translation is they flap like trees in the wind, right? They, they are shaking in their boots, is what you might say today. They are scared. They have enemies that are real, and they are coming against them, and they are faced with the question, how are we going to save ourselves from this impending doom? Right? This is not theoretical. This is they are about to die, and something is about to come down upon them. All the tragedy and horror of war. They know what it means to not have a quick solution to a deep problem. This may be something that we all experience. We all know what it's like to have deep problems that are not easily solved, whether it is family troubles or addictions or struggles or marriage or children. We all have deep problems that we do not have easy solutions to. And they needed a, they needed a salvation, and this was, in effect, a moment um, of reckoning for them. This is a moment of decision where they need to decide, God, are you going to be enough for us, or are we going to turn to our own devices? 
So we pick up here in verse 3, Isaiah 3 through 6. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go and meet Ahaz. Right? Remember, he is the king of Israel. You and Sherebushim, your son. Right? Sherebushim means a remnant will return. That is the name of his son. We all give names to our children to have meaning in some way or another. Right? That's the name of his son, a name by faith. At the end of the conduit of the upper pool and the highway of the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of the two smoldering stumps of firebrands and the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Uh, so here he finds, he goes, okay, Israel's in this major problem. They've got all this uh, war that is encroaching upon them. And where does he tell them to go find the king? Go to where he is trying to secure the water lines for the city, right? That's basically what he's saying, right? Make sure that your city is safe. Uh, That's what the king is doing. He's trying to make sure the city is safe. And right there at the city water supply, the king is doing a good thing, and yet he is securing them for a good thing at the expense of what he is called to do and the the expense of trusting God and the expense of trusting that God will provide for them. Right here is what the king should be doing, not securing their water supply. He can trust that to other people. He should, in fact, be going to the water of life. And here he has this incredible, um, I love how in the Bible, um, God just likes to pick fights with people, you know. Um, he calls these guys are full of anger and destruction towards Israel, and he calls them these fire, you know, these, what is it, the, the, these smoldering stumps of firebrands, right? He's like, oh, you guys are all like hot for war, but you're just a bunch of like burnt out old campfires, you know. <laughs> like, I'm not impressed by you. You might have big wars, you might be as war as big as China, and uh, an army big as China, and he is not impressed at all with them. The, the, uh, the, fierce, the fierce anger that they feel towards accomplishing destruction of God's people, God almost, in a sense, we we're going to see this in a few verses, he almost kind of like starts slapping in the face, kind of like, oh, I've forgotten your name already. I don't know who you are. How many of our fears and troubles do we see as big and gigantic, and yet God seems to kind of dismiss them? Not because they're not important to us, but because in the face of who God is and our troubles, you have the one who created all things, and we are worried about fill in the blank. My health, my work, my family, tomorrow. These things are real, and God is coming to help them. But he's not overly impressed by the enemies that we have in our lives. Picking up in verse 5. Because Syria and Ephraim, the son of Remaliah, has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up for the son of Tebel as king in the midst of it, and set up the son of uh, Tebel as the king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord, and this is a poem that the Lord God begins to say, It shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. (laughs) So... Here, like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but he doesn't even mention their names. He's kind of like, oh, like your father's son. He kind of says, here, here's, you guys, uh, you have these big names in your own countries. They don't mean much to me, but here's my name. I'm the Lord. I've made a covenant to save, and I'm the God. I've created everything. I have created all things, and I'm not impressed. You're a bit of a mirror of a joke to the Lord. And then verses 8 through 9, the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within 65 years Ephraim shall be shattered from being a people, and the king of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. We read this, and we're kind of like, this is one of those weird Bible poems where it's like, 
They're kind of like a bit of a phone book and then something about faith, right? <laughs> like, what's going on in this passage, right? That's what the Bible does, right? You get like all these names and then, oh yeah, I believe in God. But what he's doing is actually saying, here are the roots of these people that are your enemies. They are, they, the roots are back into these people that oppose God, and they are people that are created by God, and yet here you are as a people designed and saved by God, intending to trust in him. You will either know God and trust in him, or you will be like the reed in the wind. You will never have any stability. Right? That is what he is talking about. Right? The power and salvation of God is rooted in God himself and not in any lineage, not any family heritage, not in gifts we give. There's nothing that we do to make ourselves more impressive to God. There is no job that we can have that would make us more important to God. The President of the United States is no more important to God than any of us in this room or building or on the streets of Manchester tonight. He is unimpressed by those things. He knows the roots of who we are. He looks at us and desires to see faith in our hearts, trusting in him. And yet, just like Ahaz, we are faced with a moment of crisis. Well, we believe our fears are bigger than we want them to be, that our, their, our fears are controlling, that those things which scare us in the deep parts of the night are more important and more true than God himself. You see, Ahaz, the king of Israel at this time, he was beginning to invite the counsel of his, God's enemies into his heart. As we end the year, what are the things that you have invited into your life that maybe are at odds with trusting in God? We can give to charity and pay off we can give to charity to pay off our impoverished hearts. We can serve the needy to build up our begging hearts. We can use friendships to satisfy our lonely hearts. A thousand things we can invite into our lives to settle the war within. But these things will never give us stability. Stability only comes from God Himself, and He must dwell among us. And that is what He begins to do for Isaiah and for us. In Christmas. Picking up in verse 10, Isaiah 7, he says, And the Lord God spoke to Ahaz another time and said, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven, right? Be as deep as the Mariana Trench or as high as Mount Everest, so to speak. But Ahaz, the king, he has already kind of his heart has churned. I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. And this is how the Lord said, began to respond, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? We read this and we begin to think, well, who wants to put God to the test? Right? That's not like, in the Bible it doesn't talk about putting God to the test, does it? Actually, it does. But the way Ahaz uses this is he uses it as, as a religious way of escaping heaven, responding to God. When God says, ask me of anything... Don't you think you should respond and say to God, okay, let's start going down the list. But instead, Ahaz uses this religious flag and says, oh, I don't want to put God to the test because his heart has already turned away from God. His heart has already turned away from trusting that God will provide for him. You see, all through this passage, as we get up to verse 14, which provides a salvation moment, it is all about... Oh, the batteries went out. Okay, sorry, guys. I'll just talk really loud. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. So, so we get to verse 14. Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to move over. It's a, it's a devotional. It's not a sermon. Don't worry. The Lord's. So here we get to Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself 
will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. I know that we see this on Christmas cards, but I hope that you're beginning to get a picture that in the midst of this war effort that's going on in Israel, there is a deep question. Will you trust in your own provision and strength, or will you trust in God? Because God's strength never comes by the way we expect it to. <laughs> because here's how God is going to solve the problems of the world, right? A young woman with no sexual relationships, with no marriage, will conceive and bear the Son of God. Not only will it be a son that she'll have, but it will be the Son of God, right? So God begins to up the ante on what he is going to do. This is not the way you would expect the king of heaven to come into the world, and yet God does this because that is how God intends to show us that his power does not require our effort to save us. That is a part of the very nature of what Christmas is all about. God does not need our effort. God does not need our help. We did not invite him. We did not want him. We did not send him a, a little letter in the letters, in a, you know, God, North Pole, here's my list of things I need. Please save me and help me out. But God is the one who's so eager to pull us out of our darkness, who's so eager to pull us out of our own mess that we've created of our lives. He is the one that is so eager to redeem us and renew us that he sends the most unlikely things into this world. He sends the very Son of God to be born on a dusty street to a virgin woman to dwell among his people so that he could, just as the miracle of his birth exists, birth the miracle of new life in you. Those things that feel like they will never change about you, that you will always struggle, that you will always have these things hanging and hampering you, if God can give a virgin child to be the son of God, to die in your place, then he can change those very things about you. He can renew you and save you from those various things that haunt you. The virgin birth of Christ is not merely just a true part of Christianity. It is showing that God does not need your effort to accomplish what he intends to do in you. All he is looking to is a heart that trusts in him. And in fact, he gives you that heart, in fact. So we're going to finish this out in verse 15 to 17, and I'll give a couple of thoughts. About this son that's going to be born, he shall eat curds of honey and honey when he knows how to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and your father's house such days as have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. This is basically just the Bible's way of saying um, he's going to be a poor kid, and when the poor kid knows how to choose right and wrong, the kingdoms that are, you're so afraid of will have been forgotten from the history books. <laughs> That's basically the summary of it. Assyria, by the time Jesus was born, was nothing but a dust heap in the desert, and Jesus was born to what? <laughs> a poor woman, a carpenter, in a little town of Nazareth that nobody would actually know in the history books had Jesus not come from there, right? Just like your corner of New Hampshire. So here are some con concluding thoughts as we kind of go into this Christmas celebration together from Isaiah 7. I hope with this background, giving us some more understanding of what exactly is going on and what God intends to do in our hearts. The first thing is life circumstances shake us with fear and expose our faith, right? 
We are all Ahaz in this story. Ahaz is just like us, faced with these troubles and struggles and wars at the borders, and he is trying to figure out a way to save himself on his own terms. People who don't, and this is the, the reality of what God does in this passage, specifically Isaiah 14. God's power shows up in the most unlikely ways. Are there ways you've been shaken this year, this season, to have fear for Christmas or this next year? Are there ways in which you look towards this next year and you think, I don't think I can do another one? You are just like Ahaz. And the hope of this passage is that God still pursues you. He wants you. He is renewing you. These are the people that God wants. People who don't have their act together and people who don't have all the answers. If you don't have your act together, if you don't have your life in order, if you don't know how to pay your taxes and you don't know how to get your life in a way that just makes sense, if that's you, that's who God wants. God wants people who are a total wreck and a mess because he's not looking for people to help him save you. The second thing is God sees more than you do, so simply trust his presence. Right, verse 4 of this passage, they're faced with all these fears. And it says, just do not lose heart. Trust in me. Right, God controls all of history. God controls all the fears and struggles that you see and are wondering about. And I think that he can see them in a way that you don't. So that you can trust his presence among you, even when you can't see the other side of the problem. The third thing is God looks for desperate people who to dwell among. Israel was desperate in Isaiah's day, in Jesus' day, and in our day. People were drawn to Jesus, not because he had great social programs, not because he had a great campaign speech, but because of who he was, because of the kind of person that he was. I'm desperate for him. I'm ending 2019 desperate for God to help, desperate for God to revive my own soul. He himself satisfies the longing heart. How can a person merely satisfy the soul? Well, if they are God himself, who is infinite joy and love, an infinite flowing fountain of eternal person, of eternal love, of eternal light, he can satisfy the longing soul. And so you can take the constant darkness and struggles that we dwell with, and he can handle those problems. In the same way a virgin can give birth to the Son of God, the glad heart of God can birth new eyes in your soul to see him, enjoy him, and enjoy his presence among you. And then the fourth and final thing, God dwells among us so we can stop working to save ourselves. God's miracle son that was born for desperate people to save them from themselves, to save you from your best attempts to save yourself. Just like Ahaz, he dwells with you this Christmas to save you without your works and without your help so that you can know peace, joy, hope, and love in Jesus along with and without price in his unending presence among you. He gives you unending faithfulness in life and his presence miraculously in the most unlikely of circumstances. God dwells among us to give us life and joy and peace because of who he is. I hope that you enjoy Christmas, not because you've enjoyed this year, 
or because you've had a great week, but because of who Jesus is and that he chooses to dwell among us. Let's pray. Jesus, as we sing your celebra- the celebration of your birth, I pray that you would fill our hearts with joy and that we would enjoy your presence among us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.